Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. We are in our latest series called Saints, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. When we hear the word saints, we think of men and women who lived hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, completely different from us. But are we that different from them? In this series, we tackle who the church is and who we are as saints. Take a listen to this week's message. As it turns out, the Christian path is actually available to everybody. Anybody can follow it or become Christian. There's even a free book um, with some basic directions. But you have to decide to follow that path. You have to make the decision to follow that path every day. Being Christian, deciding to follow Christ, that means you will make choices that are a little bit different than your friends, than your neighbors, and potentially than your family. Making those decisions not only make you different, but they make you stand out. I think part of that comfort level is learning to understand that that's a good thing. It's a good thing for other people to see you as Christian. Decisions can seem like a sacrifice at first, but when you cut out the things that don't matter to the path that you're on, you actually liberate yourself to freely follow that path, to enjoy following that path. It's possible for you and I to make those decisions over time. That to me is the gentle gift of this message. It's not actually a heavy-handed message of doom and gloom. It's actually a bright, and clear message that tells us to follow that path of growth, that to be different, we have to choose different. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And uh, before I jump in, I've got a few things that I want to mention in no particular order. Number one, if you don't know, just a couple of days ago, it began uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. And so for our Hispanic brothers and sisters in our church, I would encourage you to mention that to them, to say something to them, to tell you how much you love them, uh, for them and them being a part of our community, okay? Number two, today is actually a very special day. 31 years ago, a human came into the world that we dearly love. His name is Pastor Mark Anthony Thomas. Today is his birthday, and so if you see him, let him know how much you love him, and let, you, let him know uh, that you wish him a happy birthday. Creepy. Uh, number three, we have had an awesome weekend. You saw earlier the video of Fill the Fridge. Let me just tell you, the last two Fill the fridges that we've done, we have seen around or just over 300 people come through, which is pretty crazy considering we were hovering somewhere like 225 to 275. And so we're seeing this ministry grow uh, really leaps and bounds. And this weekend has been awesome because we've had some major help. Three of the five are here in these blue shirts. We want to thank them. They 
are a part of Champion Forest Baptist Church, a partner church of ours. They were here in the spring, if you remember, when we had our crawfish boil, and uh, just an incredible blessing, and we're so thankful for you guys. The other two, they're not like out getting coffee. They're actually in our V-Kids area serving this morning, and so that just gives you, yeah, a taste of uh, their heart of service. So thank you guys so much for all that you've done. Not only did they come yesterday, we gave away 300 whole chickens, okay? An entire chicken. And the reason we were able to do that is because Champion Forest paid for it. And so, yeah, just a lot of really awesome things. We love Champion Forest and we love uh, their partnership and uh, can't wait to see what the Lord has in store for us. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we've been in this series called Saints, looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and what he has to say to us, the saints, right? Who dat? Wow. You concerned? We concerned about today, right? The saints, who dat? About who we are as holy ones, about us as the church. And so we've been in this series for the last several weeks. We're wrapping up chapter 4 today. If you would stand with me with your copy of God's Word, the words will be on the screen as well. We are going to read this out loud together, starting in verse 17, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through verse 32. Here we go. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard of him, about him, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, growing up, I was a part of the church, my family wasn't, and we would often have these conversations about the church and about how the church is full of, you might guess it, hypocrites. 
right? I would have these conversations with people about, listen, my problem is not with Jesus. Jesus was a great guy. Jesus did awesome things. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was true to who he said he was and what he did. My problem is with the people that are in the church because they're hypocrites, I don't know if you're familiar with that word. It actually comes from a Greek word, which is like the word for the mask that Greek actors would wear when they were acting. And so it's kind of this idea that you could like take the mask off and put the mask on. So you would say that you're one thing, but then you could put the mask on and be something else. And I think one of the challenges that we face as followers of Jesus is that reality that the church is actually made up of hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We are all hypocrites. But here's the thing. As we grow and mature in Jesus, and I think this is actually what Paul is getting at here, we should become less and less and less of hypocrites. Amen? So what we're looking at is this idea of who we are not. Paul reminds this church, these saints, by the way, that's an interesting uh, name for hypocrites is it not they're hypocrites yet at the same time they are saints they are holy ones and Paul says listen this is who you were it's no surprise it's no joke it's no uh no surprise that this is who you were this is where you came from but this is not who you are any longer and I think that the world in one sense is actually right that when they look at the church and what they see are hypocrites, they understand the message of Jesus. They're like, listen, I don't follow Jesus, but you say that you do. And if you actually truly follow the message of Jesus, then Jesus said you should begin to look what? Different. Therefore, we shouldn't be hypocrites. And that's what Paul is, is getting at in this passage and what we're going to be talking about today, that if Jesus has changed us on the inside, we have to look different on the outside. If you remember just a week ago, and again, I've told you this before, Paul gets kind of caught up in ideas and then he goes on a run-on sentence and then he comes back around to his ideas. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he goes on to talk about unity and maturity. And if you notice in verse 17, he says then, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. So he's coming back around to this idea, and he's, he's still talking about the same thing. He's talking about unity and maturity. The beginning of chapter 4, he's talked about unity, and now he's saying, listen, if that unity is meant to bring maturity, verse 17, here's what maturity is actually going to look like. Here's what it means to not be a hypocrite. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what it means to be the church. Here's what it means to be a saint. 
And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. I want to encourage you, you'll see a link on the screen. All of our resources are there. And we've been posting a ton of different podcasts. You'll find our sermon notes there, an intro to the book of Ephesians. If you're new there, all of our sermons, all of our V-group studies, they're all there. I want to remind you that when we got to chapter 4, especially last week into the coming weeks, Paul has moved and shifted from like doctrine, theology to application, where the rubber meets the road, where it's like, now how do we live this out? So really, Paul gets at some commands. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Remember who you were. Remember who you were. Look at what he says in verse 17. Again, we just read this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, Lord, that you must no longer, meaning what? They had. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Paul uses the word Gentiles not in an ethnic sense, but in a sense that the Gentiles aren't followers of God. And so he says, listen, that's not who you are anymore. You're not a Gentile in belief and action. You are a child of God, a son of the Father. And so listen, when we think about who we were, it starts here. It begins with what you think. Look at what Paul says, where he talks about, in verses 18 and 19, the futility of their minds. We don't use that word too often, futility. But it literally means like useless. Another way to think about it is it's an endless striving and never arriving. Or it is a forever searching and never finding. Right? If you're striving and you never arrive, if you're searching and you never arrive, whatever you're doing is pretty useless. And Paul says that those who are outside of Jesus are futile in their minds, meaning whatever they're doing isn't working. It's not getting them what they want. It's not producing the results that we're looking for. Paul says that's who you were. And why are they futile? I want, to just, I want you to follow his line of argument here. He says, number one, there was no light to guide their way. They were darkened, Paul says, in their understanding. The reason that they didn't have a light is because they had no way to the light. Paul goes on to say that they were alienated from the life of God. Then he says that because of all of that, there's an ignorance of the light. Because of the ignorance in them, Paul says, and then all of this leads to a stubbornness to the light. Paul says that there was, all of this was due to their hardness of heart. Now, in the Bible, in Scripture, light and dark is a constant theme. In fact, we're going to see next week where Paul brings light and dark back into the discussion. Do you think about stubborn of heart? You know, we've been in a journey periodically here and there through the book of Exodus. You might think back to uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, this stubbornness, this, uh, this hardness of heart. So Paul says, listen, The Gentiles, you, those who are far from God, that's who you were because you were distant from the light. You were rejecting the light. It starts with what you think, but number two, it leads to what you feel. Paul says at the beginning of verse 19, so 
They're not pursuing the light because they're futile in their thinking. They're futile in their minds. And he says that they have become callous. Now, I've tried to lay off my gym illustrations because I think some of you get tired of it and I'm afraid that I've offended my trainer, (laughs) Coach Nick. But I think this one is a safe one and you'll get this one, okay? One of the things that uh, Rachel loves for me to do is like scratch and rub her back. And every once in a while, I'll be rubbing her back and she was like, oh wow, those are like some serious calluses on your hands. And in fact, there's like three on both hands, I have three calluses for like my back three fingers where they're like, they're hard. Like you can't, I can't feel much there, right? And that's what a callus does. When you keep lifting and keep lifting, that skin becomes hard and a callus leaves you with a lack of sensitivity. And in weightlifting, that's fantastic, right? Because the less I feel, the better. I don't know, is that bad or good? I don't know. But I think it's good. For me, it's good, right? If I don't feel it, it's great. That means I can keep lifting. But what Paul is saying in the spiritual life, callousness is not a good thing. Because what Paul is saying is, listen, their thinking, that useless thinking that they have begun to believe in and live in has led them to a callousness where their sensitivity to who God is and what God is doing in their lives is lost. And Paul says, listen, by the way, that's who you were. So it starts with what you think, it leads to what you feel, and it ends with what you do. Into verse 19, he says that this callousness have led them to give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, there's a lot going on here in just these few words that I think maybe we miss because of the language. But this idea where Paul says that they've given themselves up, it is a willing choice to succumb to their impulses and inclinations. So Paul says, like, whatever they're doing, whatever you used to do, this was a willing choice. You made a decision a long time ago to say, I'm going to do this and I don't care the consequences. And then he says that they were greedy to practice. So when these Christians, when we in our past have made that willing choice to succumb to our inclinations, it leads then to habitual sinful behavior. I'm not, what I don't think Paul is talking about is like making a mistake and that being sin, right? Mistakes can be sin, no doubt. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is Paul is saying, listen, This kind of thinking and this kind of feeling leads to a lifestyle that is a regular, everyday, habitual kind of sinning. There's no restraint. Those words, sensuality and greedy, that's what is no restraint. That's what Paul's getting at. Like, they just live it up. And all of this is a vicious cycle of destruction. Like that's, that's what Paul is getting at, is that when you are far from God, when you don't have Jesus, when you don't have the power of the Spirit living in you, what happens is you just keep giving in to every impulse. 
You just keep doing what feels good. You just keep believing the lies. It's been a long time since I've quoted this book, I think, but I just spent a few days in his presence. One of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer, says this in his book, Live No Lies. He says, lies that come in the form of deceptive ideas are the devil's primary method of enslaving human beings and entire human societies. Look at what he says, in a vicious cycle of ruin that leads us further and further east of Eden. What he means is further and further away from God. Now, that's really dark, right? Wow, thank you, Dustin. I'm gonna leave encouraged this morning. Let's step back a little bit and think about something far less sinister. And let's think about food, right? I just told you that I go to the gym. One of the reasons I go to the gym is so I can eat because I love good food. One of my favorite foods to eat is not just ice cream, but a pint of ice cream. Amen, right? So there will be, there will be days, especially those days when I am feeling the uh, inclination to habitual sin that I'll walk into the supermarket and I know exactly where my sin of choice exists. And I'll walk down the freezer aisle and I will open the door where the Ben and Jerry's pints of ice cream are. And I will find the tonight dough. Has anybody ever had the tonight dough? It's got all the goodness of life packed in one little pint. And I'll take that pint home and I will say to myself, Dustin, tonight you're not going to eat this whole pint of ice cream. And by the time I'm full, I look down at the pint and I notice that the pint is empty. And I sit there in great shame because I have just done this. And I tell myself, I am never going to do this again. And the next week, it's been a really hard day. Maybe it's been a really hard week. And Rachel tells me I need to pick some things up at the grocery store. And I go to the grocery, and there's the freezer aisle. And I've got some things to get on the other side of the freezer aisle. But while I'm walking down the freezer aisle, I pass the pints of ice cream. And the tonight dough calls out. It beckons me. Take. Eat. Feel, enjoy, experience, be filled, live. And in that moment, I buy that pint of ice cream. And I take that pint of ice cream home and I say, tonight I'm not eating this whole pint of ice cream. And I sit down on the couch and as I'm eating the ice cream, the moment that I feel ultimate satisfaction I look down at that pint, and guess what? It's empty. And I say to myself, I am never going to do this again. Do you see where I'm going? Now, that's funny. Until I have to buy new pants and a new belt. 
But that cycle is the kind of cycle that Paul is getting at when he talks about sin. And you just take the pint of ice cream and replace it with that thing that you have habitually wrestled with. And that is what Paul is saying. We are no longer. Amen? Paul is saying, listen, you've got to remember who you were. But here's the truth. That's who you were, but it's not who you are. Paul starts there, that that's who you were, but it's not who you are. Why? Because number two, we are to trust the Lord's change. The whole argument shifts starting in verse 20 when he says, but... But that is not the way you learned Christ. So Paul goes on to say, assuming that you've heard about him, and the answer to that is like, yes, we know that you've heard about him and that you were taught him, taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then Paul gets to the thrust of his argument. Verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says that's, that's who you were, but it's not who you are because you've trusted in God's change. And the way that God changes us, the way the Lord changes us, is that we take off the old self. Paul says, this is what we've done. We take it off. Remember, this is the gospel. This is what God has done for us. Because when you're in sin, you can't remove your own sin. But by the power of God sending his son Jesus to earth, him putting on flesh, living a sinless life, going to the cross, rising from the grave, Jesus defeats sin, death, hell, Satan, our enemies. And then we are able to live in the freedom that he has purchased for us. But it requires a response. You notice that these are all like actions. You have to, you have to do something to put off something. And the way the scripture talks about it is you gotta, you gotta repent. You gotta turn away from the way you have been living. You have to turn in faith to trust the death and resurrection of Jesus to save you. And then you have to confess that. The way we confess that faith is through baptism, being buried with Jesus in, in baptism, going under the water, coming up to walk in newness of life. And in fact, some people think the imagery of putting on, putting off and putting on is actually baptismal imagery. Because in the ancient church, here's what they did. You would walk into the church in like your regular clothes. And you would take those clothes off. Those clothes are the old way, symbolizing the old life. Believe it or not, we're not going to do this anytime soon. You would then be baptized naked. That's like the official biblical term, naked. And then you would come up out of that water, naked but clean, and they would put a white robe on you, symbolizing that you have been put, the new has been put on you, that Jesus has changed you. Now, listen, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand. If you are a Christian wrestling with habitual sin, remember, this is not who you are. 
So many of us wrestle with things and the shame and the guilt that we experience leaves us in a place where we're just doing the whole ice cream dance. We do the sin, we're sorry for the sin, and we say we'll never do it again, and then we go back and we do it again. And that leaves us in shame and guilt and fear. But Jesus on the cross, the Spirit in us, the Father in his love, does not want us to be in that shame, guilt, or fear. And I just, I can't encourage you enough that the first step, don't get bogged down with everything. Just think the first step. The first step is this, telling someone. And in telling someone, you're able to repent of that and find accountability to set you free from that sin that so easily entangles you. You know, if you're going to be clean, you're going to go take a shower. You take off the old. Paul is saying you would never go and take a shower and then all the dirty clothes that you just had on, you put back on. You've put off the old self. He says, number one, you've taken off the old self. Number two, you are then to be renewed in your mind. Sounds very similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Put off the old self but be transformed, be renewed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, so that you might live in it. This idea of being renewed, being transformed, notice that these are passive verbs. Whenever there's a a word with be in front of it, it's passive. And when a verb is passive, it means you don't do it. So the idea of being transformed or being renewed is that who's doing it? God. Over and over again, Paul has talked about how it's the Holy Spirit at work in us to renew us. So we take off the old self. We are renewed in our minds. And then Paul says we are to put on the new self. Paul says it like this, that we're to be created to be like God. This action of putting on, it's our action. But do you notice this whole idea of created? We can't create. Only God creates, right? Genesis 1.1, who created, us or God? God. And Paul's bringing in that imagery to say, listen, there's a part that you play, that we play to put on the new self, but there is a major part of creating in us this new self, making us new. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus what? You must be born again, recreated. And Paul is saying, we can't do that, only God can do that in us. And when God does that work in us, it produces what he says at the end of those verses in 24, righteousness, holiness, and truth. That when we put on the new self, we become like God. Not that we're replacing God, but that we're able then to be like him and live like him and worship him the way we were created to be. This, for us, I think, speaks also to the power of spiritual habits. That there's an element at which we cannot do, that God does, but we have to do 
something. Again, John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, says this about the power of habits, that the power of spiritual habits is this, that they are small, regular habits, practices, disciplines that open our minds up to the spirit and close them off to the flesh. So when we are practicing things like Bible reading, prayer, corporate worship, community, when we're doing these basic things, what the habits are doing, they're a means to an end. They are not the end. The end is God putting on the new self. But when we are practicing these habits, when we are making them consistent in our lives, what they are do is they are feeding us the Holy Spirit. And they are closing off our sinful flesh. And Paul says that that's how we put on the new self. All of that to say, we've been changed. Paul reminds us, listen, that's who you were beginning, but it's not who you are because we've been changed. And then he closes with this, that if the Lord has changed us, then lastly, we are to live the new way. It's pretty interesting in the book of Acts What are the first Christians called? The way. And I think that has multiple meanings. I think part of that is like they are the way to God, but this is the way of life. And look at what Paul gets out. First, he gets at how we live the new way. And you read lists like this. These are just kind of like run-on lists of like, these are what Christians do. This is how we are to live. Number one, verse 25, we are to speak the truth. Paul says, therefore, that's a major transition, by the way, when he uses that word, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do you see the connection between maturity and unity? Where Paul is saying, listen, this is what it means to be a mature Christian. We speak the truth. And the reason we speak the truth, the reason we are to become mature, is because we are unified. We are one body, members of one another. One commentator says it like this, living truthfully is living in the light of Jesus Christ who is the truth. With my kids, when my my daughter, who's doing this more frequently, lies to me, right? It's not just, don't lie. But it's tying back, why don't we lie? Because God is truth. Paul says, speak the truth to one another. Number two, he says, watch your anger. Anybody need that reminder today? Verse 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And this is tied to this, give no opportunity to the devil. The emotion of anger is not a bad thing, right? There are things in our life and in our world that should anger us. But what happens when we let the sun go down on our anger, that anger begins to sit in us and fester, And create all kinds of ugly, evil things like bitterness. Which is why Paul says, listen, if you let the sun go down on your anger, you are giving the devil an opportunity to enter into your life. James says it like this. This is the brother of Jesus. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Next, Paul says, give rather than 
take, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Clearly, in this community, people were stealing. I don't know if they were stealing from one another, and Paul says, listen, the most important thing you can do is quit stealing and work really hard. And work really hard not to earn a living and compile all of your stuff, but do what? Rather than take, give. Be generous. Next, Paul says, speak to build up. Verse 29 through 30. I'll be honest with you. Uh, These two verses were rather convicting this week. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not, and this is tied to how we speak, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this isn't for me, it's for you. Because I don't have any problems with this. Right? Actually, the Lord has given me a spiritual gift, and it's called sarcasm. And I use it, <clears throat> I use it generously. Is that sarcastic? <laughs> These are tough words. Some of us, myself included, think we're very cute. And that when we're sarcastic, we just think we're the funniest people on the face of the planet. But those we're speaking to do not feel built up. They feel torn down. And Paul says, keep your mouth shut unless it's going to build your brothers and your sisters up. Speak to build up. Next, he says, guard your heart. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. For me, this verse is really tied to like what Paul says about anger and what he says just before it about our words. And he begins to tie these two ideas together. That Listen, when you're angry and you let that anger sit in you, then guess where it explodes? In your words. And the challenge with this for me is like our anger and our words are like a fire. Sometimes we're like, listen, just a little lighter, no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. But then all of a sudden, the lighter falls on a heap of like dry wood. And what started as like a little bitty fire turns into a forest fire that destroys lives. And Paul says, listen, this is how we're to live our lives we're not to do that rather next he says this be kind and compassionate be kind to one another tender-hearted and if we're kind and compassionate next we will forgive forgiving one another and just in case you don't know what forgiveness looks like he says it's like this as god in christ forgave you The message of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, that Jesus died and rose from the grave so that we could be forgiven of all of the ways in which we have offended a holy God. And if you're wrestling with forgiveness, you're like, listen, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like to forgive. I don't. But I can promise you a God who does not need to forgive has made a choice to forgive 
And so I am not your example. We are not your example of what forgiveness is supposed to look like. Our God who we worship is. So Paul says this is how we live the new way. And I think all of this is wrapped up in why we live the new way. Paul's not saying like, listen, these are just a bunch of new legal, legalistic laws that we're to follow. But he says, rather, there's a reason this is how we are to live. This new way is not first and foremost how we live with the world. Did you catch that? Paul is not saying, hey, all those on the outside are looking in. And you need to worry about how you live with them. Rather, he is saying, it's how we live with each other. But here's the incredible thing to me. What we just talked about at the very beginning where non-Christians look into the church and they're like, if that's who the church is, I don't want to be a part of those people. Yet if we lived this list of behaviors, what would the world think? This is the kind of community that I want to be a part of. By the way, this is an imperfect community. Because Paul, if it was a perfect community, would not have to say all of the things that Paul says. Right? He wouldn't have to tell them, hey, by the way, speak the truth in love. Don't be angry. Because somewhere in their past, they've been lied to. Somewhere in their past, they've gotten angry at one another. Somewhere in their past, they've probably robbed one another. And so Paul is saying, listen, it's an imperfect community, but this is what we're striving for. This is what we're living for. We live and speak truth because God is our truth. The church must be, here's the unity and maturity tie, the church must be one body of truth connected to her one head of truth. The reason we are to be the way we are is because we follow Jesus. So everything that Paul is telling the Ephesians, everything that Paul is telling us is saying, listen, this is why we live the way we live. It's because this is who Jesus is. And if Jesus is our head and we are his body, then we are to be like In Christ, we've been changed and therefore empowered by the Spirit to live a new way before God. And so as we close this morning, I just want to give you a couple of questions to chew on this week. Number one, a very simple yet profound question. Have you been changed by Christ? There's an understanding in this passage that the people that Paul is writing to have all been changed. And everything that Paul says in this passage cannot be a reality for you unless Jesus has entered your heart and life and changed you. The message is simple. That God came in the person of Jesus, lived a sinless life, a life that we could not live, died on the cross, taking our sin and the penalty for our sin and taking it upon himself. 
But he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later, defeating sin, death, Satan, everything that stands in the way between us and God. And the scriptures make abundantly clear that in order to do that, there has to be a change in direction. You've been walking one way. To repent is to turn away from that way and say, I'm no longer choosing to live that way. I'm no longer choosing to walk that way. I want to live for God. And the Bible says that that is faith, believing that Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, saves you. And then it is confession, telling God and everyone present that you follow Jesus. We do that through baptism, being buried with Jesus, coming up out of the water, raised with Jesus. Have you been changed by Christ? But number two, for those of us who have been changed, what will you allow the Spirit to do in you to live the new way? There's a reality probably for all of us that we are grateful and thankful for the life that Jesus has given us. But there are parts of our old life that we are clinging to. Whether it is that habitual sin or whether it's how we interact and treat one another. And Paul says if the Spirit of God is in us, we're all Jesus. There's not a part of the old that we can hold on to because we're new. So what will you allow the Holy Spirit to do in you this week to live the new way? We are to remember who we were, but we don't go back to that because we've been renewed by the Lord. And because we've been renewed by the Lord, we can live the new way. If we embody that, the world can't help but look in and say, that's what I May that be Vintage Church. May that be who we are. And may God get glory for it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love in our lives. And Father, we pray that this new way you've called us as your followers to live, God, we would live by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. Help us now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.